Well, good morning. If you're able, please open your Bibles to the book of Titus. It's in the New Testament, towards the end, right before the book of Hebrews. This morning, we're looking through Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. However, when you have found it, please stand. I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter. The way the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this is that you have three distinct chapters that are comprised both of doctrine and corresponding, or I would say overflowing, duty. And so if I just focus on the duty this morning, perhaps we'll be inclined to think we need to do something to merit favor or righteousness or right standing with God, whereas Paul would say, no, out of the overflow of God's grace, now live in a manner worthy of this so great a Savior. So please stand up. I'm going to read the entirety of Titus chapter 2. We'll pray, and then we'll unpack verses 1 through 6. Hear now God's word. But you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Likewise, Teach the older woman to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, keep urging the younger men to be self-controlled, showing yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And bondservants, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we just want to ask your blessing on us this morning. And we do ask for this grace which has appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all people, that it would be experienced afresh this morning, not only in drawing unbelievers, 
and to know Christ in a saving way, but to also, Lord, show us as believers how we ought to live in light of Christ, how we ought to live as his lights in this dark world. We pray that you would give us grace to make salvation attractive. Would you forgive us, Lord, for our often hypocrisy, how we often mar the beautiful name of Christ, how we often show that the gospel is not the power of God for salvation. Would you forgive us? But would you also equip us afresh, Lord, and to live as we ought, as your holy people who have been purchased to live lives of good works. Lord, we just pray this morning that you would lead and guide us and that our hearts would rejoice and we would leave this place eager and excited, Lord, uh, to live for the praise of the glory of Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you for your word. O triune God, would you now use it as an instrument, Lord, to draw your elect, but also to sanctify your elect. Would you sustain us firm to the end? Would you help us to keep our hope fixed in the right place on the return of Christ when he reveals his glory to humanity? Father, help us by the Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I thought I would start this morning by reminding us sort of the overarching theme of the book of Titus. It's three uh, short chapters, and John Stott, uh, an old commentator who went to be with the Lord some 10 years ago, divided it up into the three chapters And he would say that you can summarize Titus this way, doctrine and duty. Doctrine and duty first uh, in the church, doctrine and duty then in the home, doctrine and duty then in the world. And I think that's an accurate assessment, an overview of this. Uh, We dealt with doctrine and duty firstly in the church and why Titus's first and most important duty uh, as an emissary of the apostle Paul was to raise up, train up, affirm godly leadership, right? The the church needs to have solid doctrine because out of solid doctrine comes a life consistent or duty, if you will. The good works flow from good doctrine. And we saw that. This is of first importance. Put what remains into order, appoint elders because they will be, as it were, um, not only those who disseminate the doctrine but who also embody it who are the godly role models. Well, Paul is now pivoting from how the church itself is to demonstrate the gospel in life to how we now live it out in our own individual households. We move from the house of God into uh, the individual household. And of course, the two are inseparable, right? The house of God, the church, is comprised of households. And so I want to just remind us afresh that living out our doctrine and duty is not merely a Sunday-only thing. Yes, we gather together as the Lord's people on the Lord's day to sit under the Lord's teaching, but that is to equip us. You can see this counter-referenced in, say, Ephesians 4, that the pastors and teachers have been called by God to equip the saints, to equip them for works of ministry, for works of service in the church, but also in the world. And what Paul wants to do is to have these individual households adorn the gospel in the world they live. So this morning we're looking at doctrine and duty, not so much in the church, but in the home. And Martin Luther, 
says this, because the world cannot see our faith, they must see our works. Then they will hear our doctrine and be converted. And you remember that Paul had planted various churches on the island of Crete, and they were in dire need now of godly leadership because false teachers had crept in. As Pastor Cliff reminded us last time, that there were these false teachers who were insubordinate, full of empty talk, and that they were upsetting and ruining whole households by teaching for selfish and wrong gain what they ought not to be teaching. And so we move or we transition from how bad teaching upsets households to how good teaching now strengthens households. I I hope you see that. Paul ended chapter 1 by saying that these false teachers and their converts were defiled, that they were not pure. Their minds and hearts were defiled. Though professing to know God, they denied him by their works. Unhealthy doctrine leads to unhealthy living. So what's the solution? Healthy teaching. You're going to see that. This word sound in the ESV literally is the word wholesome or healthy. If someone has an unhealthy diet, you don't tell them to stop eating. You replace that unhealthy diet with a healthy diet. And notice then how they begin to live differently, look differently, act differently. And so that's what Paul's doing in verse 1. I I can't alliterate this sermon because Paul is just basically addressing the various components of the household. Older men, older women. Younger women, younger men. And Titus, you are to embody this and teach it. How then are we to live in our households? Verse 1 of chapter 2. But as for you, it's emphatic, and Paul is giving us a contrast. In distinction, or in contrast to the false teachers who are teaching false doctrine, you, Titus, teach or literally speak. Be speaking what is fitting, what is suitable, or as the ESV says, what accords with healthy doctrine. And I just want to remind you that healthy doctrine will always evidence itself in healthy living. You you cannot separate the two. What God has joined together, let not men or false teachers separate. It's great that you have a good theology, but as we saw this morning in Sunday school, we show our faith by lives of good works. The fruit demonstrates the root. And so Titus is to go and holding to this trustworthy word, to the gospel and the apostolic doctrine, he is now to speak or to teach what accords with it. He is to show what does healthy doctrine look like? What does it look like in older men? What does it look like in older women? What does it look like in younger women? What does it look like in younger men? Verse 2. Older men, if you have a healthy doctrine, this is what your life will look like. This is your duty. Now, before I move on, I want to make this practical. You should be memorizing these verses that are suitable to you. So if you're a man who's older than 40... I don't like hearing that that is what constitutes an older man, but that's life. This is, this is for us older men. And we should not only be memorizing it, but praying it. And when someone asks me, how can I be praying for you, pastor? I hope I can say, would you pray that I would be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and endurance? 
Or if someone says, how can I pray for you, sister? And it's a younger woman. Would you pray that I would love my husband, that I would love my children, that I would be kind, that I would be working at home, that I'd be submissive to my own husband, that I would not bring reproach upon the name of Christ? If you're a younger man and someone says, how can I pray for you? Would you pray that I'd be self-controlled in every way? That I would have self-mastery? That my mind would show forth the fruit of conversion? And that I would be able to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions? That I would not be addicted to TikTok or video games? That I would not be addicted to pornography or the internet? That I would be sound? See, this is wonderfully practical. Because as we live this way, we demonstrate the gospel as the power of God for salvation. Not only for forgiveness. And I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. That salvation is not less than forgiveness of sins, but it is more. That we have been saved and redeemed to be a holy people. And Pastor Charles mentioned that from Isaiah 44. That Israel of old was set apart by God to be a kingdom of priests. That they would demonstrate the power and reign of God in their day-to-day living. And then as priests, they would mediate God's rule and his grace to the nations. They would say, this is what it looks like to be set apart and empowered by the true and the living God. It's no different for us in the new covenant as God's holy people, as the church. And so I I do hope you see that uh, you play an integral role in missions. You don't need necessarily, as we saw in Sunday school, to be a missionary who moves to New Guinea. Maybe you do. But most of us will demonstrate God's rule in our local setting, primarily in our homes. And so Titus is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is that teaching? It's verses 11 through 14. It's the gospel. And so if you find out maybe your life is not bearing this gospel fruit, you need to go back to the gospel root, the foundation. Go back to the gospel A man named Paul Tripp says, right, if you see a tree that is barren, you don't go and start stapling oranges to it. You go and you nourish the root. You fertilize it. You water it. You get rid of the weeds. And what will happen if there's life in that tree? It will begin to bear fruit. And so that's why I read the entire chapter. Do not separate duty from doctrine or good works from the gospel. Okay, so that is what we'll see in a couple weeks, but this is what gospel fruit looks like in older men. It's also interesting to note that Paul starts with older men. That's not accidental, and so this is how you can also be praying for grace community and for the church in Tabor as well. God, would you give us a multitude of godly older men? This is the foundation These godly men, as it were, they set the tone for the church. They're pace setters. And I'm thankful that we have a lot of younger families. I praise God for that. But we should always be praying, oh God, would you send us godly older men who will then be examples. Godly older men who will be called to eldership. And if not called to eldership, they will nevertheless demonstrate what a life of the gospel looks like. What does it look like first? Sober-minded. I remember when I was first converted in a church and denomination I will not 
share with you. But I remember they would say, doctrine's not important. Leave your mind at the door. We're here for an experience. They would say that. I promise you I'm not making that up. You don't need your Bibles. Come, let's have a fun time. Is that godliness? I'm not sure. Paul says the first thing the older men are to be characterized is having a sober-mindedness. And the Greek word literally meant to be sober from alcohol. And as we, we see, obviously in Crete there was a problem with liquor or with alcohol. But Paul is not just saying, hey, I don't want you to be literally a drunk. I want you to be sober, as it were, not only from alcohol, but from all kinds of other influences which will distort and will ruin your thinking to godliness. And so you need to be sober-minded and free from excesses. You are to have your mind, as it were, focused on the Word of God. How will older men be sober-minded? How will they be pure? How will they not be tainted, either with alcohol or false teaching? They're meditating on the Word of God. They're clinging to, holding firm or fast to the trustworthy Word is taught. So how do you pray, older men, who may have a little more time on your hands? See, this is the danger. Once the kids move out, we've got a whole bunch more time. Maybe we're making more money and we're not as zealous as we once were as we uh, were teenagers or young men working 40, 60, 50 hours a week. Older men, be sober-minded. Get your mind focused on things above. Pour yourself into the Word of God. And I want to encourage us older men. Right? It's like, okay, the kids are gone, man cave time, some me time. No, be sober-minded. The pure, unadulterated word of God, let that be your fuel, and let that be your signposts and guide. Second, they are to be dignified. Some translations might say, worthy of respect. And again, Paul's painting a broad picture of what older men should look like. He doesn't give us every single thing, but he wants us to generally have an idea. You might forget some of these words, but he wants men to to, to be dignified, that they would have respect within the church and within the community. That's actually one of the prerequisites of elders in 1 Timothy 3, that they must actually have a good reputation not only in their church and in their homes, but also in the world. And so they must not be living a life of excess. They must be dignified or worthy of respect. They must be self-controlled. And I've underlined that word every time I see it in the book of Titus. It's a key word. It's not only for those who are elders, chapter 1, verse 6. It's also for older men and older women and younger women. And it's the primary command for younger men. If you're a Christian here this morning, God is calling you to be a witness in this world by being self-controlled. And it's a word worth thinking about. Right? Look in, look in chapter 2, verse 12, that the gospel trains us. It trains us to be self-controlled. And the gospel brings salvation. And what you need to know that in that word self-controlled, it has the verb save. I don't want to get into word studies too much, but it's literally a thinking or a mindset that has been saved. Christ came into the world to save us from our sins, but also to save us from worldly thinking. And so older men, you are to have a saved mind, if you will, 
a redeemed mind, a delivered mind, a mind that is able to say no to the world. And how do you feed that mind? And again, it's with the Word of God. It's the doctrine that accords with sound living. And so please don't ever think doctrine is a bad thing. Timothy, or Titus, sorry, speak what accords with healthy doctrine, healthy teaching. This healthy teaching overflows into a mind that becomes sober, dignified, and controlled. Some commentators say self-mastery. This shows us that the gospel is the power of God to live a transformed, radically transformed life. The gospel also brings about health in the triad of faith, love, and hope. You see that there? You are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, healthy, balanced, if you will. I like the word balanced, wholesome. Dietitians are always talking about a wholesome diet. Some of the athletes in the congregation, they're all about a healthy diet. Well, here's what a healthy diet looks like. When you're feeding on the gospel of God's grace in Christ, you'll have a balanced life in faith. That's your vertical relationship to God. The gospel is not do, 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 do. The gospel is what Christ has done. And then the fuel and empowering presence of God to help you do what he would have you to. And so you'll be healthy and balanced in your faith. You'll have a right vertical relationship with God through faith in Christ. But also... Faith expresses itself, Galatians 5, 6, in love. That's the horizontal. The great commandment is love God, but also love your neighbor. And so as a church is feasting on regularly, feeding on the gospel, the older men will rise to the occasion and become great examples and types of healthy love. Love for God, love for wife, love for children, love for the church, love for the world. That's that horizontal aspect of what the gospel does. It helps us to have a, a, a wholesome, healthy, balanced faith in God, which is balanced by love for others. And lastly, steadfastness or endurance or perseverance. It means to remain committed under duress. And that is what we find ourselves as Christians. The gospel gives us this steadfastness through hope. And that's the gospel message. Christ has appeared once and he has saved us. Christ is going to appear again. And he is going to set up his new heavens and his new earth. And we are to live in light of that. Believing, loving, hoping. And the fruit of hope is endurance. Older men, 40, 45, 50 and up. Does this... Does this sort of picture you? And this is how you should be praying. Wives, pray for your husbands. Pray that as we go to work, pray that as we, say, lead the church, say that as we go out in the world, that this would be a broad brush of what our life can be characterized, that, that we are minded on the gospel, and that when people uh, want to discredit us, we would be able to say, absolutely not. See, it's important to know the context. Look in verse 5. It's not just for younger women, it's for everyone in the church. The world is looking for an excuse to revile God's word. That's in verse 5. Verse 8, we're to have sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 10, 
that workers are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We're living in the context of a world that is looking for any excuse to bring reproach on the name of Christ. And Paul says, live in such a way that you can silence the mouth of opponents. That rather than, than, than besmirching or tarnishing the gospel, adorn it. And how do you adorn the gospel? How do you, how do you make a tree beautiful? When you see our apple tree that was given to us many moons ago in bloom and then in fruit, that's adorning it. Right? If you look at it right now, it's not bearing fruit in season right now. It's not that beautiful. But when that thing is bearing fruit, it is wonderful. It attracts bees and deer and dogs and everything else. And that should, our dog ate all the bark around the tree. And that's how we are to live. Right? We want to have sound speech, sound living. We want to adorn the gospel. Older men pray, oh God, give me grace to adorn the gospel, that it transforms from within and bears fruit without. And it starts then with the older men. But it does not end there. Older women. And it's worth noting here that every uh, part of the body is necessary. Ephesians 4.16 says that when every part is working together as it was designed by God, it causes the entire body, the church, to build itself up in love. Sometimes churches, we just assume, are run by a few pastors or a couple of guys. No, it's everyone working together. And it's not accidental that Paul doesn't just say, okay, older men, run the show. He says older Women likewise. Titus, encourage, speak to the older women because they are essential to the health of the church and therefore the health of God's witness to a naysaying and contrary world. And so if you're an older woman, what is that? I have to be careful of putting an age to that because I'll get in trouble. But it's, it's basically you're past the age of bearing children and the children, as it were, are, are mature and have perhaps moved out. I'll let you put an age to that, but likewise. It's an important word in the Greek. Not just older men, but now older women. And sometimes we think that's a diminutive word. No, this is, this is an honoring of them, like you would see in First Timothy. Honor the older men, Timothy, but also honor the older women. Well, Titus, you too, honor the older men. Honor the older women. How are we to praise the church? Oh, Lord, would you give us more and more godly women? I remember, still to the day, when we were praying in the old prayer room for God to give us more godly men and godly women who were older. And he answered those prayers. And we see the fruit many years later. But continue to pray that there would be older women. And they are to be reverent in behavior. It's an interesting Greek word. And it, it, it's the same word as accords with or fitting or suitable. But it has the prefix of temple. And so back in Crete, there was a lot of pagan temple worship. And so the women would train the younger women how they ought to conduct themselves in the pagan temple. And what I think Paul is doing is he's taking that word and he's saying that the temple now is God's church. And now the temple, older and younger women, is your home. You're not going to the the temple precincts where they'd worship, say, Diana or the the God of the city. No, that these, these women were to train the younger women of temple worship. And that temple worship is primarily the home within the context of the local church. And you are to be reverent. In Crete, having imported some 
feministic teaching from Rome, there was this new movement called the New Woman Movement. It's basically proto-feminism, which finds its roots all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. The woman will seek to usurp the man's headship, right? That's what Satan sought to do, to usurp God's headship. And now he worms his filthy face into everything, and he's trying to disrupt God's good order in his world. Well, Satan's trying to do that in Rome. They're exporting that bad, unhealthy doctrine to Crete. And they're saying, women, you need to be liberated from the patriarchal system of, say, Judaism. And so Paul says older women are very important because if you read 2 Timothy, younger women are prey to false teaching often. 1 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 3, older women, you are to be reverent. Why? Because younger women are under your tutelage. Some people say, oh, I can't join the church because women can't teach. Where does it say that? Women can teach within the God-ordained limitations. Older women, you are to teach. Not only can, you should be. Who should you be teaching? Younger women. And you are to teach them by being reverent in behavior. I don't know anything about Taylor Swift. Thankfully so. I'm not a Swifty, I'll tell you that. I've never once listened to her song. Maybe I have, I don't think I have. But I would say she is probably the most seen role model for young girls. Maybe I'm that old. Maybe that was like two months ago. Bear with the old man. But our young women have very few godly role models. Very few. The role models the world foists and that the church apes are not this kind of role model. They're not reverent. They're not dignified in their behavior. They're not self-controlled. And so in Crete, like in Rome, there's this teaching saying you can be liberated from the confines, those patriarchal structures which restrain and restrict you and inhibit and keep you from being all you can be. Titus is not to teach the younger women. He's to encourage the older women to be reverent in behavior, to be self-controlled. We say, where does it say that? It says not to be slanderers or slaves to much, much wine. In other words, they, they can't control things like wine intake or they can't control their tongues. And so when I say that, the church is to be characterized by self-control, a mind that has been redeemed by the gospel. It's for older men and older women as well. And so as we're praying for the older women in this church, oh, that we would pray they'd be reverent, that they would conduct themselves in a manner worthy, not of some pagan temple, but of the true temple where the Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. They are not to be slanderers. See, what would happen is, um, unlike our age, where you know, women are, are most of the workforce now, uh, these older women in Crete, the kids would move out and they'd have a lot of time on their hands. Right? They wouldn't just get a job. Men worked in Crete. There would be a few jobs, I get it, but it's not like today. You have to always remember the original context. And so now you would have women with a ton of time on their hands. And Paul is, or Titus is saying, redeem the time, older women. Because if you don't, you're going to busy yourselves with all kinds of things that tear down instead of build up. Idle time is the devil's playground. Go and read 2 Timothy. 
This is a real danger. People with too much time on their hands and not redeeming it for the gospel, they will find themselves giving themselves over to things like idle talk. And maybe not becoming alcoholic, but maybe being addicted to things like Facebook or Pinterest. And those are probably old too. Whatever, TikTok, whatever the, the useless thing of the day is, we have to be careful. And I would say, let us pray that the older women would redeem the time, how? By teaching what is good. Teaching what is good. And what is the good? The gospel and the fruit of good works. Good news and good works. They are to teach it not only with their lips, but also their lives. And I've heard it once and I've said it a thousand times, that a lot of godliness is as much caught as it is taught. Which reminds us that the Christian life of sanctification and witness, it's a group effort. It's a community project. And so we should be getting together. Older women should be going out of their way to, to, to minister and invest into the lives of younger women. Why? Because otherwise they're going to believe the lies of the world. They're going to ape the world, and the church is to be distinct from the world. The church is to be unique, that we are to be a shining light in the darkness, because that's what attracts God's elect. The way a moth is attracted to the light, the elect will be attracted to the beauty of Christ through lives that are radically different, lives that are uh, self-controlled, that are reverent that are dignified. They are to teach the gospel, but they are also to teach the outflow of the gospel. And when they do this, when they're training the younger ladies, the younger women, to love their husbands and children, it's attractive to the world. This adorns the gospel. Churches think like having a light show, having a hip pastor, having a relevant message, all the things the world's trying to do to attract the world, and they're not doing this. This is what God says, attracts the world to Christ. Paul is doing all things for the faith of God's elect, to draw the elect in, live godly, dignified lives, and then train those under your care. Older women, teach what is good so that you may train the young women. And as one commentator said, the fact that we can be trained shows that it is possible. And this is a really interesting Greek word. It means, again, to redeem the mind. Why? Because the younger women in Crete were believing the lie that true freedom came in casting off the shackles of being a godly mother. Don't be like the world. No. You are to, first of all, love your husbands. Second of all, to love your children. You are to be self-controlled, pure, and this is, a, this is a, a very controversial one. I remember John MacArthur saying, just reading this, let alone preaching it, will get you into trouble nowadays. Working at home. This screams against how I was brought up. Not against my parents, but just the world system. How are young women to shine as lights? Now, we have to be careful. Right? Paul's, Paul's saying that this is the norm. And there are obviously exceptions. Some of the younger women are not married. 
some by providence aren't able to have families. I get it. But this is to be the norm, right? There's exceptions. There are women who under the will of God can work outside the home. But generally speaking, the norm within the household of God and with our individual households, this should be what young women are aspiring to. I have a little book. I, uh, we bought it for our girls, Young Lies Women Believe, chapter 24, 25. Nancy Lee DeMoss says the lie that young women believe is that somehow we need to be like men and we need to have the same jobs as men because that is our identity. That's not what God says. That a dignified woman has been given an identity if she is married to be a helper to her husband and to be a nurturer of her children. And I will say that. That is harder and as or more important than any guy wiring a house or pouring concrete or being a pastor. Okay, don't believe the lies of the world. My, my wife, she always like almost had to apologize when she was a young woman. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be, be a mom. And then she'd almost have to excuse it. But I'm not stupid. The church should be actually redeeming it. This is the highest calling. And I, I'm thinking of you younger girls. I have five of my own. I'm not against universities. Trust me. But be very careful of just being funneled into what the world says. This is what you should do. There's nothing ungodly about desiring to be married at a young age if God gives you a godly man, which we're getting to. But this is, this is a dignified life for a young woman. Let the world scoff. Let them mock you. We want to be pleasing to God. And we want to be attractive to this world. I, I really believe that as, as the Christian home is redeemed the way God has designed it, we will be a shining light. That's the problem. The church has tried to become the world so much. To try to win the world, we've tried to become like the world rather than being holy or distinct. We want to say this is what, this is what God does. He actually redeems us. I have to go here. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I, I heard this because a lot of people are like, what does 15 mean? She will be saved through childbearing, right? How, how is a woman saved through ch childbearing? And I heard a sermon, and it, the light went off. I wish I would have heard this 15 years ago. What is saved? And the pastor said, her reputation. Maybe I'm wrong. I think that's it, right? This is not, I got to have kids and then I'll be saved. No, 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 no. That, that Eve, through her sin and trying to usurp headship, she had brought reproach upon womanhood. And Paul says, this is what it looks like when womanhood is redeemed. She will be saved or her identity or her reputation. Womanhood is redeemed and saved by being a godly wife and mother. And if you want to laugh and scoff at that, that's fine. But that's what the world does. God honors this through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, Titus and Timothy have so much overlaps. And I want to encourage the younger ladies, maybe your teenager, wondering, what would God have me to do? Now, there's nothing wrong. With, with, with asking, Lord, what would you have me to do? And, and maybe it is the gift of singleness. But the, Norman, uh, the, Norman, the normative in Scripture is being a godly wife and a godly mother, if God would grant that to you. And there is nothing shameful about that. Actually, it's quite redemptive. 
and I would say, attractive to the world. Train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to have a mind that is controlled, to be truly pure, working at home. Again, that doesn't mean you can't work outside of home, but the primary sphere of, of what should be occupying your heart and mind and time is your home. That's why we are where we are as a nation, because we've just completely abandoned the home for the world as a church. They are to be kind, and here it is, we don't like this word, submissive to their own husbands. Paul doesn't want outsiders to come in and say, see, the gospel doesn't change you. You Christian women, you're just like unbelievers. And Paul would say, may that never be. For the grace of God has appeared, and it saves us from our sins, but it also gives us the ability to live a transformed life. And then it shows us what the transformed life looks like. You might say, this is impossible. But God's grace is ours in Christ, and it is possible. You can be trained. You can learn. Your, your mind can be informed and redeemed so that God's desires and God's order would increasingly become your desires and your order. Verse 6, and I'll end here. Likewise, urge. So Titus is to teach the older men and to teach the older women, and then the older women teach the younger women, and now we're back to Titus. You need to urge. Come alongside, parakalao. Compel them. Beg them. Urge is a strong word, but urge the younger men. Okay, and that's probably from teenager up to, how old am I? 40, teenager to about 45-ish, give or take. But younger men are important because this is the baton that is going to be passed to them. They're going to become the men who are leading households in the future. And you'd say, he only gets one thing. No, I, I would say that all of chapter 1, that is for um, elders, Titus is to now model this, especially to the young men. The older men are to model this to the younger men. And this is something I want us as a church to grow in, right? Discipleship relationships, getting together with the younger men and not only teaching them, say, the confession or a systematic theology or teaching them the gospel, but also showing them. Showing them, what does it look like to be a godly husband? What does it look like to be a godly father? What does it look like to have, have your work redeemed for the glory of God? What does it look like to be a good witness in the world? And so Titus, keep urging, it's in the present tense, the younger men, here it is, just to be self-controlled. Now, Cliff will probably pick it up next week, but all respects would be linked to both self-control for the younger men and also how Titus models good works, okay? That's just, sometimes you can be really efficient with Greek language. And so, in all respects, is linked not only to the self-control of the young men, but the model of Titus. And so, young men, you don't get off the hook. You are to be self-controlled in everything, I would translate it. In your thought life, in your work life, in your spending life, in your free time life. 
You need to have your mind saved or redeemed or purified or instructed from the gospel. Younger men, you don't get out on this just because the verse is shorter. This is probably the hardest one. And what you need is an older man to come alongside you and to model this. And this is what is then going to be a wonderful witness to a watching world. I put this. A godly life is the visible expression of the power and truth of the gospel. Paul's a missionary. Remember that. He's not just saying, be good for goodness sake. Right? He's not like a proto-Santa Claus. The reason why you bear fruit is not for yourself. Fruit is for others. Like I said, with my apple tree, the flowers, it attracts others. It adorns that tree. And it shows that there's life, life-givingness to that tree. And so here's Paul, the missionary for God's glory in Christ through the church to the ends of the earth. How do we bring glory to God as a church? By living godly lives. Those godly lives are predicated upon teaching. Okay? This is doctrine and duty that, that flows out of the church into the home, into the world. You see how that works? It's like that you throw a stone into the lake. What happens? It's the ripple effect. Right? And then just the concentric circles get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what Paul wants. He wants the world to see that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. I think we'll close there. We have a lot more this morning to work through with the Lord's table and the AGM vote. And Cliff will pick up where I've left off. But I just want to encourage us as we face a task unfinished, I want you to see just how important a godly life is together in community, in your house, in the church, for God's witness to a watching world. Like if we want to see the world one for Christ, let us send missionaries. Let us support missionaries. But this is super important as well. It's not just for others. You might think, I'm just a younger guy. When I get older, then I'll live for Christ. Or I'm an old guy. I'm an old woman. My, my best days are behind me. Don't think about that like that. That's not what Paul says, that we live together in a community bearing a corporate witness to the glory of God in Christ. Which, which branch is most important on the apple tree? I don't know. I want all of them bearing fruit. And I want all of this church bearing fruit. So I would encourage you, memorize, if you're a younger man, that one verse. Younger women get a couple verses. Older women get a couple verses. Older men get one verse. Maybe God just knows men's minds aren't as strong. I don't know. But memorize them, pray them, and then begin praying them for others. I don't even ask, how can I pray for you? Just, how old are you? Okay, I'll pray that for you. Probably not the most tactful way of, of that, but let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself. You know how we love that language of Isaiah 53, that he would come into the world and live a perfect life, for those of us who were law-breaking rebels, for those who could not obey and would not obey, for those who hated you and rejected you, for those who, like Titus 3, were just so infatuated with self and self-glory and self-pleasure and self-aggrandizement, we're thankful that your grace erupted into this world and radically transformed us not only justified us by your grace, 
but, but is now, Lord, energizing us to live radically transformed lives. And as Luther said, Lord, the world might not, as it were, see our faith, but, Lord, let them see our good works which arise from faith. May they see that our hope is radically different and that our hope brings perseverance and that our hope brings about godliness, that older men live sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled lives that are balanced in faith and love and endurance, that the older women are reverent and not given to excess. They can control all of those things. And that older women don't live for themselves. They now live to invest and divest themselves into the younger women who don't live for themselves but live, Lord, for their houses. And for the younger men who don't live for pleasure but who live for your glory. I pray that, that even as outsiders, unbelievers come and they, they see Grace Community, they would see this is a church that does not live for self-gratification. They live for the glory of God in Christ. They serve others. And there's something radically and attractively different about them. And we would say it's not us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Would we truly be a spirit-filled church? Oh, that you would not only regenerate us savingly, but you would increasingly renew us and conform us into the image of Christ. Would we be a fruitful church? That we might be able to be those who can come alongside and help others in any need. We don't want to be like those we saw last week who are unfruitful, who are unprofitable, who are useless. And worse, Father, we don't want to be seen as those who are worse off because we now believe the gospel. No, no, no. Father, I pray that others would say, what is it about you? And then with fear and respect, we'd be able to tell them of our hope in Christ. Father, as we partake of the table, we're reminded that it's not our good works that make us right with you. It's Christ's perfect life of righteousness. And as we feed afresh by faith on his perfect work, I pray, Lord, that it would produce within us good works that others would see, that would others would be attracted to, that they too might hear and they too might believe, they too might uh, make their calling and election sure like us. Father, anything uh, that I've said that will take away from the gospel, would you just cause people to forget? And if there's been anything, Lord, truthful or anything, Lord, from this text that will stick with, with the hearers for the rest of their life, would you just write it on their hearts? Would you give us a real zeal for godliness? And as we saw a couple weeks ago, that, that means that we must apprehend the glory of God in the person of Christ. So, Father, would you give us a fresh apprehension of Christ and all of his majesty and glory and dignity and worth and honor. And that would bear itself out in a transformed and fruitful life. Please do this, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of your Son, we ask in his name. Amen.